Hi, I'm Courtney. Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People, the podcast where I speak with individuals living with or affected by sexually transmitted infections. And today I'm here with Emily. Emily is 25 years old. She is of European descent, primarily white. What else? I am dating someone. I'm living in Philadelphia. I'm working and going to school full time. And I have a blog. I'm a writer. Uh, I'm a yogi. I lift. I model. I'm kind of a call across the board. I love that you answered all of those questions, but I meant, like, what else were you mixed with? I thought I missed something. Oh. <laughs> yeah. um, I knew I was missing something. Got it. But I'm glad you included everything else there, too. So <laughs> that makes this go a lot easier. And where'd you say you were from? I'm from Maryland, but I'm living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. And you said you're a yogi and you lift. Is this what you do, like, for a living? or? No. So I, I'm almost finished my 200-hour certification. I have one more class I have to make up. Um, and I lift. I go to a barbell gym and I lift every day Monday through Friday for from 6 to 7 a.m. Oh, and then what's after that? I feel like you have a routine. You're a very structured I work, person. Uh, I work a 9 to 5. I'm a paralegal. And then I'll go to yoga after work and then I do homework for school. Oh, wow. So, yeah, you're super duper busy like all the time. Yeah. And go, go, go. What is your condition? I have general herpes HSV2. I was diagnosed in July 2015. 2015. So you've had it two and a half years, roughly, at this point? Two and point? a half years. This will be year three in July. Wow. Okay, so what was going on with you around that time? Like, how did you find out you had HSV2 genitally? So, to back up before, to put you into context, so in May of 2015, I graduated college, and I was a gender and sexuality studies background. So, you know, I was always into the sexuality field and things like that. And I got this internship that I was very proud of. And at the same time, I moved back home and someone that I had been interested in for probably two to three years had also moved back home. Uh, And about around two weeks after he got home and we had become involved again, I woke up in incredible pain. And that was from later determined genital herpes. It It was my primary outbreak. Mm. And when you found out, what what happened next? So I remember calling my mom uh, and describing how much pain I was in. And I got an appointment at my primary care physician first. And she said, you know, she couldn't make a determination because the outbreak was internal. So she said, you know, you'll need to see a GYN. And she recommended going to urgent care because I could likely get in sooner than the GYN's office. And so I did that and I went with my dad. I was, they scraped for lesions and it, you know, you can't tell on the spot if you have it, but they said, you know, you likely have genital herpes. Uh, And they took a blood test and and the blood test later came back negative and my culture was positive. So that signaled a recent infection. Oh, okay. So because it, the blood test tested negative, but the culture, what they scraped came back positive. Right. So I'm not sure. Do you know this? Am I teaching something? Yeah, you are. No, I mean, we're, I'm, I'm trying to just elaborate a little bit for everyone. So this is a new thing though. So you've got both tests, but the blood test showed up negative, but what they scraped for determined that it was positive. Right. So the antibodies don't show up in your blood, um, until at least 12 weeks, sometimes a little longer after. 
Uh, so it's recommended that if you're diagnosed and your blood test is negative, you know, you get tested. Uh, I, I got tested again three months later. And after that, my blood did turn up positive for HSV2. So it was possible for you to have, if the doctor would have gone, oh, you know, I don't see anything. Let's do a blood test. You would have given the blood test and they'd have been like, oh, you're fine. You don't have anything. Right. And I'm sure that um, that's probably one of the reasons the CDC doesn't currently recommend testing. Um, but I, I think that does more harm than good. But that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> but I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. I think that, you know, it's better for us to know that way we can prepare for it rather than going through the whole shock phase and mm -hmm. going through the thoughts that the stigma created and just the negative emotions that come with the new diagnosis of something as common as herpes. And that was something that I immediately felt, you know, even before I had that diagnosis, I was extremely concerned that this had happened to me. Um, and I was only uh, intimate with this one individual. So I knew who it was from and I knew, oh my goodness, like, um, you know, this, I felt so it, it, not invaded, but violated maybe. Um, and not by him, but just you feel the stigma, like even before having a label for it, you're like, oh my gosh, something, something is wrong with me. Um, and you look in the mirror and you don't see yourself quite the same. Uh, and I couldn't see myself quite the same for some time. And I, I really don't think I saw who I truly was until, uh, probably about six to eight months later. But I know for many people, you know, the journey is different. So for some people it takes much longer or less time depending on how you cope or how you handle things. For me, uh, the most immediate reaction and probably my strongest reaction was who will love me. Uh, and I think this also shows how we perceive ourselves in our dating relationships. Um, and that revealed the stigma to me, you know, even having a background in sexuality education, I guess I held these beliefs that I didn't really know about the stigma. Oh, I thought you were still going. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> when you were diagnosed, so the first person that knew was, I'm going to guess, your mom because you told her, hey, something's not right? She, or... had, she, had, she had an uh, inkling, so uh, my parents both. Uh -huh. And then your dad finds out he's there with you. What's his response? Uh, just very supportive, very calming. Uh, he was. I cried in his truck and said, you know, who will love me? And I cried on his shoulder of daddy's little girl. Uh, and he just kind of let me vent and he listened and he said, you know, you will find someone. And of course, you know, on this day, you're, most people are thinking no one will ever love me. This is terrible. This is the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And then you said for six to eight months after that, you didn't recognize yourself. What, what do you mean? So, uh, you know, sex, sexuality was different um and my just overall sense of being my work ethic the internship that i was so excited about in my field became a loss uh i would spend more and more days at home and just choose not to go in to the office just because i didn't i don't want to say i didn't care but i feel like i really just didn't care at that point i feel like i lost my will to persevere and my will to want to make a difference and I feel like this was somewhat combined with a postgraduate haze of oh my gosh this is real life 
but mixed with the herpes diagnosis, I just felt so alone. And that, you know, you don't have, as, as you know, you don't have anyone to relate to really. Um, and it's hard. And so I just retreated into myself and I turned to alcohol as a coping mechanism. And there were nights, you know, where it was multiple bottles of wine shared among friends where that shouldn't have normally been the case. Did your friends realize that something was off about you? Uh, I think, so I, I came out pretty quickly to them. I remember telling my one friend over Chipotle and a homemade margarita, I said, hey, you know, this is what I have going on. And she was like, oh my gosh, um, are, you, are you okay? What can I do? Which was a really positive response. And for me, that signaled, okay, I have, I have a space, safe space in which I can discuss this with someone. Uh, but I, I think the environment I was living in at the time didn't help. Um, I was living with a friend from college and she was going through her own depression. And so we kind of used one another as a coping mechanism. And mm-hmm. so we'd imbibe. Uh, and that was how our friendship was based, which wasn't healthy, but that's yeah. what ended up happening. Are you guys friends now? Just curious. No, we are not. Yeah. So, like, you're both in this negative space with one another. You have that common ground. And that's, would you say that that's just not really. Had, had you guys I don't think it was I don't think it was good for either of us. I don't think yeah. we at that time were beneficial to one another. Okay. As friends. Gotcha. And that that's what I was trying to ask but couldn't get the words out right. Um, I, I felt I felt <laughs> cool. Um was that the only friend you told or did you tell more people? No, I told I probably told about five to six friends people mm. knew. How did you feel about that? You weren't worried about them like telling them each other or telling other people? Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, um, I I'm a woman of few friends. Uh, I'm very much introverted. I'm not someone that, as you say, I'm a person of few. I'm a person of few friends. That so sounds like you're reading. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. So we had a little bit of static just now. I I can leave that in there. We had a little bit of static, and I tried to come back to it, and I was letting her know where she left off. And she go, and then she just sounds like she's reading off a sheet of paper. (laughs) I'm a person of few friends. Uh, I'm very introverted. I'm very comfortable in my solitude, Uh, and so I wasn't really worried about what people thought about me or if people would tell. Even from when I was a little girl, I just was weird and who I was, and that was it. Uh, And so I guess I figured, you know, they can either accept me or not. And so that's probably where my education for uh, herpes really started is those little conversations with my friends. Okay. Now, I think that that attitude is something that stems a little bit deeper than just being comfortable with your friends or, like... Like I feel a lot of people who are newly diagnosed that the way they react to their diagnosis stems from a deeper understanding of sexuality. So you and I talked about this before about how your communication with your parents has always been. So can we touch on like what your sexual ed background is here? 
my personal sex ed background? Yeah, sex ed background. Like me giving sex ed or me receiving? No, no, no. I mean like receiving. Like what was your sexual education at home? So I went to Catholic school from preschool to 12th grade. And the only education that I had was abstinence-only education. Uh, You know, I was close with my parents, but we never had the birds and the bees talk. So most of, I remember in middle school, most of my education was probably from learning through my friends um, and probably the media, even though I didn't know it. Uh, And I didn't really have an informative sex ed class that I remember until college learning about human sexuality. So I think a lot of my education was from others and at some point, I'm sure, scouring the internet. Yeah. There was no formal sex ed. Right. So there was no real... Well, how did your view of sex change when you were diagnosed or did it at all change? It revealed to me that I thought... I held a certain, uh, it revealed that I held certain, my diagnosis revealed that I had certain beliefs about people with STIs and that I had learned much of it from society because as I said, I didn't really have a formal sexual education uh, about sex um, and even the one that I did, it was mostly, you know, risk, you know, STIs as just don't get it. It was never, I don't, I, I don't remember someone ever saying, even in my college class, herpes isn't a big deal. No. I don't remember ever hearing that. Yeah. I don't remember ever hearing how common it is or how many people get an STI each year or are diagnosed. Which kind of makes you think. So herpes is a skin-to-skin virus, so you get it in more ways than just by sexual contact. So right. from a sexual health and education standpoint, I distinctively remember gonorrhea, chlamydia, HIV, AIDS, those conversations. Anything that a condom would lower the risk for is what we were talked to about. I do not remember herpes being considered an STD in my sex ed. Now that I'm thinking about it, the only education I had about herpes personally would have been from other people who didn't have herpes, people who would make herpes jokes. And I can't remember a time where before my diagnosis, I had even known anyone with herpes. It wasn't until after I had gotten herpes that I began learning about herpes. I completely agree. And typically, from what I have heard from other people and just from the professional sexuality world, is most of these abstinence-based programs they use this, you know, the fear tactics and the worst pictures possible, and you know, the ones that make people turn away. And I actually got to co-create and co-lead a sexuality uh, education series for it was a three-day program in a private school setting. And it was interesting because the questions that the kids were asking, you know, they'd say, well, what is herpes? But, you know, no one really knew what it was. No one had, had an answer for it. Term. Yeah, like no one had an answer or no one had the right answer because, mm-hmm. 
you know, anyone who doesn't have herpes or any education on it, immediately you go to the stigma. It's something you get from being disgusting. It's something you get from having sex with a lot of people. You get bumps on your face or your genitals. Like Those are the things that people know. There's no more to it than that. There's no, it's not always contracted sexually. There's no, this is how common it is. If you come into contact with it, it's perfectly treatable, manageable. There are some extreme cases um, that are treated, you know, on a case-by-case basis. And one of the things that I'm hoping to be able to do with this podcast is when people are newly diagnosed, or if this becomes an educational tool in the classroom facility, then I or a classroom setting, not facility, then I want to be able to get that message across. Like there are at this point more than 30 people who've been on this podcast and talked about their individual experience with herpes. And that those experiences are you know, while similar in a lot of aspects, each one is unique. Everyone's responded to it a little bit different. Everyone's had different things going on in their lives. And ultimately, it's all started with, oh, my God, I have herpes. And your thoughts about herpes initially aren't your own. So you have to kind of go on this journey to determine what does having herpes mean for me? Because it's not always you're going to have an outbreak always, or you might even go years and years without getting an outbreak. You may not even get one, but those are the kinds of things that I think need to be highlighted because this is a reality of it. Based on people's experience, these are the things that people deal with and go through having herpes that we just aren't taught, that we don't hear about. And obviously prevention is not working. Abstinence isn't working. People are going to have sex. And so with the accessibility of more information out there, I think that it's really important for us to control the message a little bit from adults who are comfortable talking about and communicating with children about sex and sexuality so that these children and youth are able to go out into society with some sort of a foundation that's already in place so that when they get the mixed messaging from the media, their friends and friends of friends and whatever other sexual messaging is being thrown at them, they kind of have a defense mechanism or a way of perceiving it and dealing with it to be able to tell what's real and not. Right, and I completely agree. Uh, You know, most stories go back to the clinical setting of... Um, you know, the doctor and saying, well, now you have herpes and, you know, the world ends, in, you know, that day. Um, and I think also uh, I've been doing a lot of research on uh, the gynecology field and, you know, what, what do they actually know and are they capable of relaying this information in a way that's meaningful to their patients? And, you know, whenever I've gotten a new gynecologist, you know, when I move or something like that, uh, you know, they're all, they're all, oh, well, that's very normal. That's very normal. And that's great. But, you know, people that haven't done as extensive research or are not as comfortable in sharing that with their doctor, they might not receive that well. Or, you know, you might want to know more and, you know, where you go and what resources are valuable and uh, reliable. Mm-hmm. And I think there's still much work to be done in that field always and it's an ongoing thing it's not something that has a simple solution or a quick fix it's like it's going to be an evolving process from just sex education uh at home better resources available in the education system better uh more informed 
medical professionals on how to deal with someone who's not newly diagnosed because you could be diagnosing someone who has, let's take worst case scenario, suicidal tendencies. And if you greet them with, oh, you have herpes, that sucks. Like someone that I talked to, um, my last guest actually, he was diagnosed and the doctor goes, oh, you looks, yep, that's herpes, good luck with that and sends him on his way. So, I mean, while bedside manner is not the top of the list, top priority, you know, of importance, I think that that also plays a role in how we receive that information because that's something that you remember. And this man was diagnosed uh, more than 25, 20, 25 years ago, and that's what he remembers. Right, and I've, uh, you know, I, there have been occasions when I pick up Valtrex and I've gotten a weird look from the pharmacist and even one of the nurses, uh, when she called to tell me that my culture came back positive for herpes, she goes, well, you should have worn a condom. And I'm thinking to myself, well, how do you know what happened? And if it was even, you know, was it sexual or was it, how do you know what I was doing? It's skin to skin contact. A condom won't protect you from everything. Exactly. And I mean, that just goes to show the level of, I don't want to say ignorance. Ignorance has such a negative connotation to it, but just like the the misinformation that's out there. And this is coming from a medical professional. So we 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 have to just do everything that we can. And that's within uh, reason for each of us on an individual basis to be able to help control that messaging. And one of the things I wanted to ask you was, okay, you're picking up your Valtrex and people are giving, like, the nurse is looking at you weird. Or when you got your call, the nurse says you should have worn a condom. Do you think that this has anything to do with the fact, like, how you look? Because we talked and you, you do some modeling. So, according to the stigma, you don't look like the kind of person who would get herpes. Right. I don't, I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. I think, I think it's probably more so, like, oh she must be, um, you know, maybe because I'm pretty or they think I, they perceive me as pretty. Maybe they think I have a lot of sex or, oh, well, that explains that. I don't know if it's because they have me figured out or, you know, maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Well, I mean, because I, I would make, I would make, in putting myself in that person's shoes, we're looking at, because like you said, you do model. So it's on your page. We, we can see all of that. And according to the Sigma, people who get an STI are disgusting, promiscuous, all these different things, and you don't necessarily fit the mold for that. So have you gotten any other discrimination or judgment from people uh, because you don't fit that mold? I've gotten, I don't know if this will answer your question, but I have gotten, there was one shoot that I was going to do uh, and it was, you know, the photographer had a friend and asked, well, hey, can we use your this area to shoot? And she looked at my Instagram profile and she was like, that girl, that girl has herpes. No, I don't want her anywhere near my, you know, my house. Um, and so that that was I was kind of taken aback by that. Mm-hmm. Um, most people receive it well. Um, you know, I had one photographer that I worked with before I got herpes and he said, Oh, you know, I dated a girl with it. Like, I think what you're doing is so great and so valuable. Um, and a lot of herpes positive people will message me saying that they see value in what I do and it helps them have hope for themselves in the future that they will be as comfortable with themselves as they once were. So it's like this pre post herpes, uh, embodiment, I guess. Yeah. That makes sense. And I'm glad that you were able to give examples on both ends of the spectrum, because in a sense, 
had modeling been your full-blown career, you were discriminated against at work. And then, right. you know, doing the work that you're doing, like, I, I would consider that to be very discouraging initially um, to be doing work and do the modeling. And because I have herpes, because I'm out there about it and I'm helping people, I think that that's why a lot of people don't decide not to inform or educate when the opportunities present themselves. It's just fear uh, of that kind of judgment. I have a perfect example of that judgment that I received from uh, the Lush Spa in Philadelphia. And I actually wrote Wait, about can it. we say, I, wait, 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 what place? The Lush Spa. Can we, you know Lush, can we say names? Company? Can we say names? Lush. No, no, no. I'm asking if it's okay for you to mention their name. Do you need me to oh, edit that yeah, out? Oh, yeah, I already used it. Okay. Used, <laughs> I already wrote about it. All right. I already contacted them. Um, so the Lush Spa, I went for a massage day, and, you know, you have to fill out the paperwork, and one of the questions is, what medication are you taking? And so I'm an honest person, and I've just put, you know, Valtrex, thinking nothing of it, along with all my other vitamins and birth control and everything. And the woman looks at my sheet, and she goes, she points, and she says, well, what is this for? And I said, I have herpes. And for one, I don't think it's ethical that she even asked me what my medication is for. For her, she should just know if it has an interaction with anything. Um, and before she said, she said something to me before I even got on the table and I told her, I'm like, you know, you don't have to do this. She made me feel so bad. I had never felt so publicly shamed. That was probably one of the most moving, negatively moving um, experiences that I had since getting my diagnosis. And I, and this was, you know, a year and a half afterwards. So yeah. I was in a pretty confident place, but when you feel that discrimination, uh, so unnecessarily, it, it, it brings those emotions to the surface. It bubbles. Now, and this I did was, something about it. This was for a massage? This was for a massage. Okay. So, I mean, and for her or him, who was this a female? It was a woman. Yes, okay. She, so you're telling her I take Valtrex for herpes and she just goes like, I'm, I'm just assuming she made some kind of a face and what, what else did she say to you? Cause I mean, yeah, she just, you she asked just that question. You know, but... Are you, do you have it? Or is it down? Is it up here or down there? Um, and that made me feel really shitty. And then she said, um, you know, do you have an outbreak right now? And I felt very attacked and it felt very, I feel like she crossed lines and I did contact the lush, uh, North America about it because and, I was so, I thought it was so wrong. Yeah. And do you know if anything was done about it? Uh, I battled for probably about a month and a half mm -hmm. and it, um, you know, they offered, they offered me a new massage and a, a re-experience. And of course, at this point, I just no. wanted nothing. Uh-uh, I wouldn't to want with Lush. I haven't, I have not purchased a Lush product since, um, and I love bubble baths, but I haven't purchased a Lush bubble bath bomb since. Yeah. Um, and you know, I told them, I said, I think this is a really good opportunity for education about this. And of course they assure, you know, they assure you, you know, Emily, I assure you that we're working on this, but do I know if anything happened? How do I know? Yeah. Okay. Cause I mean, that's what sucks is that that's, you're not going to be the only person who went through there with herpes. They're not going to know everyone because there are going to be people who don't fill out the form. Uh, there are going to be people who don't respond the way you did. There are going to be people who are going to just 
deal with being judged while they get their massage and like quite honestly i, I wouldn't want anything to do with that place mm-hmm. you know especially no. if this is and I'm, sh- I'm sure this isn't the only institution that functions that way or has uneducated team members mm-hmm. um, and i don't i you know of course i'm sure the woman was fine at her craft but it makes me wonder, you know, who else needs this type of training? Right. Who else need? Who else do we need to educate? Because mm-hmm. from my experience, it seems like a lot more people than just, you know, our kids or, um, yeah, uh, the general population. I understand. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, there, I have had. Uh, I remember the first time I went to the dentist, and this was after my diagnosis when I went. So like, do you have any of the following? And I had to check the herpes box. I was like, fuck. <laughs> but I checked the box and I'm like looking for it. I'm looking for looks of judgment. I'm looking to be attacked. I'm looking for all these things and none of them come about. I still got the same good service. I don't know if they did anything differently. Um, I'm assuming they're supposed to wash their hands, put gloves on, right. wear masks and all those things. So I never at one point felt any of the emotions that I can imagine that you felt going in for that massage. So, I mean, there's there's the good and the bad, but, like, I want to take this moment to just be like, hey, don't be afraid to fill out that paperwork. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Emily, we are at the point now where I would really like for you to talk about your blog. I think that it's an amazing thing that you're doing, especially educating and informing people and really being a resource to people who come into contact with you for support. So in December of 2015, um, the person who transmitted herpes to me broke up with me on a Snapchat text. And so as silly as that sounds, it pushed me forward, like, okay, I need to move forward to something focus on something positive in my life. And, you know, after my little week of wearing black lipstick and moping, um, I got up off my seat and I started writing. Um, and at first I talked very generally in my, in my first posts, you know, about this dark thing that had happened to me. And then I came out on Facebook, uh, and started writing and I started writing my blog and sharing my experience and, all of the knowledge, all of the late nights I spent researching, you know, herpes forums and the NIH and the CDC websites. And, uh, you know, Ella Dawson's blog also had a profound influence on me and my disclosure, my public disclosure. And so I started writing from anything from uh, the deep emotion of hopelessness to finding love and healing and uh, currently, I write for um, Health Central as well, and so a lot of my focus has shifted to biological, trying to understand the virus from a biological perspective. Mm-hmm. And what do you want to do with that? Once you have more of an understanding of the biological perspective, are we gonna? Is that just gonna be incorporated in your writing, or like what's so what's it the... is, So it is incorporated in my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also going to graduate school right now for human sexuality and social work. So I want to be a sexologist and a sex therapist, and I'd like my primary focus, my research interests are STI and herpes-based, so I'd like to create something similar to you, something positive for the positive population, Um, something, I want to be a safe space for STI-positive people to come to, because I receive so many disclosures online, like, you get me so much more than my therapist, 
um, and you know, can I pay you? And I'm like, no, 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 you can't. You know, I, you can't pay me. I'm not licensed. I can't practice. Here, but, take um, my money. Take day, my money. <laughs> and then when you're looking for them to give you money, they're gonna be like, oh, you're expensive. <laughs> uh. Um, yeah, but I just I there's something about finding a professional who you connect with um, and who gets you. Uh, that I feel like many of us have not found. Even mm-hmm. me, I, I feel like I haven't found someone that has got me. Yeah, um, I understand. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to leave us with? Not particularly. <laughs> just, um, I guess, the person... It all for me. A lot of my healing process was helped through a positive disclosure to him. He, the person I'm currently dating, uh, I get a lot of questions. You know, how do you disclose to people? And I say, you know, well, my disclosure is pretty much out there, so you can Google my name and find out. Uh, and I, you know, I have my Facebook and my blog. But this person who I've known since 2009 and have started seeing since 2000. 16 um you know he just said how how can i protect myself just tell me how i can protect myself you know you know more than me educate me and i think that response is encouraging for others to know that there are people that listen that there are people that you know will respect you and your honesty uh and will be willing to learn from you and on the flip side of that as sad as it is, there are people that won't always be so positively receptive. Uh, and even today in our communication, just you and me, we've both shared some positive and negative experiences, and that's the reality. Uh, I'd like to see it change, and I think we're working toward that. But for now, I'd say, you know, when you disclose to someone, come on armed with your education and your knowledge and your resources, uh, and have your open heart and your open mind, but just be, take that that brain with you, the realistic part that says, this is the reality of the world that we live in. This is what the stigma is. I want to see it change, but this could still happen. Yeah. And I think it's also important for people to bring their experience with them. So while there's the facts, there's the stats, there's all this information out there. Mm -hmm. If none of that applies to you, you know, like, I mean, in a lot of people's cases who don't get outbreaks or who found out they had herpes just because their doctor decided to randomly test them. They're like, Hey, I'm no, you're not having any issues, but this is perfectly fine. You it's, it's common. And for you to not have had any issues, I just wanted to let you know, I tested you for herpes. Here you are. So, I mean, like there's even situations like that, that we just don't necessarily hear about. Um, so it's important to have an understanding of what having herpes means for you so that you can then let the other person know what it could potentially mean for them. For them. So how can people find you, Emily? So you can find me on my blog at emilydepass.com and I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at ELD3393. Um, and I have on my blog page, I have links to all my writings and resources. And I recently introduced an Ask Emily section. So if you have a specific question or something that you want me to write about, submit through there and we can chat. Is 3-3 your birthday? It is. Ah, okay. Happy belated. 
Thanks. <laughs> All right, guys. This includes the... Oh, my God. I messed that up. This concludes <laughs> this episode of Something Positive for Positive People with Emily. Emily, you can go ahead and say bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. All right. And Emily can be found at her blog, emilydepass.com. And I am H on my chest on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Reddit. If you like this episode, please don't forget to leave us a review if you haven't already so that more people can come across this podcast as a resource that can connect them to interest groups, support groups, dating, whatever it is that they're looking for. Um, Till next time, stay positive.